0: How are you? Good morning, that was a a tough act to follow. (laughs) Um, Hopefully we have more optimistic conversation around the state of uh, freight and and what your business is experiencing. But before we do that, I think one of the things that was pretty remarkable about your story that you and I get the opportunity to to share is that you have something that I've seen in a lot of very successful founders in this space, is you actually worked in this business as an operator before you founded Flock Freight. I'd love to share this story with the audience who may not know that.
1: Yeah, um, thanks for having me today, and uh, hello, everybody. Uh, Yeah, a new friend in freight made me aware that uh, I've often been viewed as more of a Silicon Valley guy as opposed to a freight person. Uh, I didn't know that. I thought that was curious, and interestingly, I've discovered that a lot of my Silicon Valley relationships see me as a freight person, so I don't really know where I stand. (laughs) Maybe I'm between two worlds. Um, You know, the reality is, and the way I certainly see myself, not that I spend any time thinking about it, is that I was very much born into this industry, you know. I was born in San Diego, the son of immigrant parents, who took jobs working for a van line, uh, a now defunct van line called Four Winds, but think, you know, Unigroup, Mayflower, um, allied North American, and so my entire childhood was spent listening to flatbeds and freight bills and ocean freight, and that was our dinner conversation as a child. Um, as parents do, they, they work their butts off to provide for their kids, for me and my older sister, um, for whatever reason, she didn't catch the freight bug. She's a fashion designer living in New York city, but I certainly did. Uh, when I was in high school, my mom first left the employment of that company and started her own freight forwarder specializing in the, in the DOD program. Um, and I watched entrepreneurship, you know, really up close. And, and for those of you that, that have either walked this path or aspiring to it, I would say there's not a lot of, of, um, Magic to it, other than you've got to work your ass off. I mean, I, I, at least I haven't figured out any other way to do it. So I would watch my mom get up at four or five in the morning and and start her business from the house, and then go to work uh, and you know needed the paycheck to just help support the family, and then come home and continue to work on her business. Um, by the time I left high school and went to college, she had you know quit that company, really stood up her her forwarder, um, and was now able to support the family. So then in college, my dad decided to leave that company. He started a freight forwarder, specializing more on the domestic side of the, of the DOD, my mom on the international. Um, and, you know, I was working for them in summers, unpaid as you do in the family business and just doing whatever I could to help out. By the time I came out of school, I really had had a front row seat to both entrepreneurship and freight. And to me, freight felt like the family business. I was listening to one of the earlier sessions and you're talking about, you know, freight is cool. It's always been cool. The rest of the world is just finally waking up to this for all sorts of reasons, but I love the absolute grit and tangibility of what we do. I love knowing that we are U.S. GDP in motion. People eat because of the hard work of all the men and women in this industry, and particularly the drivers. I mean, nobody's working harder than that. So I decided at uh, 21 years old, with my shiny political science degree, deciding law school is not for me, that I would start a a truckload carrier. Um, And I only thought enough to say I want to differentiate just a little bit. so I got into blanket wrap, um, air ride, kind of special commodities, trade shows, exhibits. Um, it's kind of a, a common offshoot within the van line world so I'd been exposed to it. and I bootstrapped uh, factored receivables. So for all of you on the on the carrier and driver side, I, I know that pain. I was paying about 22, 23 percent cost of capital. so on your on your last guest on the stage cost of capital getting higher. I mean absolutely it's not the first time we've seen this. I mean, these are big cycles. Many of us have lived these cycles. So, you know, my gross profit was less than my cost of capital. You could not be profitable. Mm -hmm. So what you got good at is working capital. You got real good at managing AR and AP. Yeah. You know, you had to collect that check to then push it out the next day. I got real good at working with my factoring partners to give me, you know, 80%, 90%. At one point, I, I talked my way into 100%. Of the receivable, which is kind of wild. And they charged me a little bit more for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew my fleet and I grew up to about 125 tractor trailers run in the lower 48 states. And I had visions at the time of you know, J.B. Hunt and Schneider and Swift was on the rise. And these were my, my heroes. These were the firms that I really, really admired and I looked up to. Um, I got to about 125 trucks and I said, boy, I, I don't know if this is the right path for me to keep walking. Um, so I decided that I would get into brokerage, get in the 3PL side, kind of put a manager in place on the carrier side after five or six years. And I loved and still do absolutely love brokerage. The opportunity to buy and sell, I never walked into a deal that I exactly knew how I was going to fulfill it, but I always believed I could figure it out. Um, I loved being less constrained, you know, not having to be tied strictly to that binary, do I have a truck or not? You know, Conversely, being able to say, yeah, we can figure that out. Oh, it's multimodal. We're going to do some different things for you. No problem. Um, brokerage was an absolute blast. Uh, the funny thing is, and I think why a lot of people um, maybe view me as an outsider, is that I was in San Diego <laughs> slinging freight. You know, I was not part of the Chicago crowd, but boy, did I admire uh, what all of them were doing. You know, I mean, I, I, I looked at C.H. Robinson. I just said, look at that scale. Look at that capability. It's unbelievable. It was the rise of Coyote, you know, in the, in the era of the 2000s and into the next decade. I remember watching their YouTube culture videos and thinking like throwing the football around that. So they made freight cool, mm-hmm. you know, like God, oh, I want to do Freight
0: bros, I think we call them now. Yeah. Like, they're freight bros.
1: Yeah. What. Um, and you know, so I had a great run of that for about a decade and I started thinking more and more about differentiation, more about what's my unique spin on this. I can't compete with the big guys. I don't have their scale, right? Freight's a scale game. You need to have a lot of volume in order to get great buy rates, but you can't get the great buy rate without a lot of volume. So how do you, how do you disrupt that, that tough cycle? So I found a way to specialize doing you know, stuff and things that, that I thought were of, of impact, which ultimately led me to Flock. You know, um, I, I'm not that person from the outside who says, this industry is broken, uh, the talent isn't there, there's no technology. That, that's utterly false, right? It's like objectively not true. What, what I found to be the case is there's a lot of things in this industry that work incredibly well. And what if we could actually bring the best parts of this industry to, to the areas of opportunity within the industry? And so, in my opinion, there's this what we call it, flock kind of this 10 to 40 linear feet. And I love this audience because everybody knows kind of what I'm talking about. You know, that we weren't going to look to optimize for the one, two, three, four pallet LTL. You know, I have tremendous reverence for the LTL carriers, for the complexity of those networks, and and the way that they're able to execute on that, all the way up to. You know, we all know this. As a carrier, my drivers would call me from the dock. I would page them. I am that old. And they would check in and say, you know, what's going on? Um, are you loaded? And they say, yeah, but you know what? I only have 14 pallets on board. You know, I only have 30 feet on board, 25,000 pounds. Am I good to go? My answer was like, I don't know. Like, did you sign the bill of lading? <laughs> are we free and clear? Like, sign it and get out of here. Um, that stuck with me, though that while truckload, in my opinion, is probably the best mode out there, it's of the highest quality and the most efficient cost, uh, there can be um, a, a better way. You know, what if, what if a customer could just pay as they go? What if you could share a truckload? What if I could give you a five pallet price, a seven pallet price, 13 pallet price, a 20 pallet price? Um, that hadn't been done before with any automation, with any institutional ability to say, we're gonna build a, a technology stack where we can go to a customer, we can enter into long-range RFQs, or we can play in the spot market. And we can simply say, kind of canonically, don't pay for an entire truck if you only need a half truck. I also knew enough to know that there's no way I'm going to compete with CH and Kennedy. They're way too good. They have way too much scale. Again, it's not that I think they're not good. I think they're fantastic. In fact, so good, I didn't want to compete with them. So instead, I thought, you know, but there's a half truck there. Uh, that's not what they're focused on. They're selling them a full truck solution. But what if we could give the customer a 13-pallet price, a 15-pallet price? And we would then algorithmically carpool that freight with another customer's freight. So Flock was born to solve for what we call kind of the middle space. You know, we coined a term or, or didn't, but but we'd like to think we have a shared truckload. And the idea is, I think of that as a double entendre. One is that um, you, can only, you only need to pay for the share of truck that you need. Maybe it's a quarter, maybe it's a third, maybe it's a half, maybe it's two thirds. And secondly, you're going to share that truck uh, with other people.
0: You no, know, I think so much about your story that I find really interesting is your experience in the household goods. <laughs> because, you know, this is a, may not be a ton of people in the room that have any experience of household goods. I, I have enough to be dangerous. Yep. A, I've moved. That's my one <laughs> direct experience. But I also was in air, expedited air freight and I had a customer that moved a lot of household goods. And they would occasionally use us for, for freight that could fit on, on some of our trucks and these line haul services. <laughs> What's interesting about the household goods business and any parcel or expedited air freight works this way as well is essentially LTL is the same thing, is you're taking a lot of different shipments of different size and dimensions, and you're trying to sort of like create this Tetris of product without damaging it. And there were certain freight that you couldn't do anything with. Carpet was always challenging. You know, I remember we used to haul these like giant statues and stuff, and like you could, like you couldn't put anything around it because it would damage it. But household goods businesses have the worst kind of problems to solve because the products are not often packaged. They're often, you know, very fragile and very important and emotional to the, the consumer. So how did that drive your inspiration for Flock?
1: Yeah, no, you're, no one sees that. I'm glad that you do. I mean, it's right at the core of this is household goods carriers, flatbed carriers are a lot the same way. They're fundamentally playing in partials, and they don't always know what's ahead of them. They know that I, I you know, a, a typical kind of drop frame can is the equivalent of something like a twenty thousand square foot home. So, you know, not a lot of twenty thousand square foot homes out there. So, by definition, you are sharing that trailer with other customers. Super labor intensive. Can you repeat that one more time? You said a twenty thousand square foot home is equivalent to what? Like a fifty-three foot drop frame. So, basically, for a household goods carrier, they have enough space inside that truck. For twenty thousand square foot home of, of the furniture inside one trailer. Yeah. Can fit a twenty, but they cube it out, right? So weight's almost never a problem on the house of good side. But we're talking about these are drop frames with decks. They are stuffing couches up on top. They're but
0: that's playing a Tetris. twenty thousand foot home could fit in a one fifty three foot home. I mean, depends on the home. Depends on much artwork is in that home. But yeah, that's insane. Th- that's, that's insane. Amazing. So how much underutilization? Yeah, because like, just conceptualizing that is huge. Yep. So what they end
1: up doing is they share that truck. But they do it without the technology. They do it in an agent-driven network. If you're familiar with how the van line, you know, infrastructure works, and they're sharing information to a certain degree. That unit is probably owned by an independent agent, but they're affiliated inside the larger group. And so there's the push-pull of data between, you know, a local moving and storage here in Chattanooga versus, you know, what's going on in Indianapolis at the mothership and the ability to kind of share the dispatch and share the the, the data visibility of those of those trucks. But it was definitely a big part of of the inspiration for me was saying. Hey, what if, you know, why pay for the whole truck if you can't fill it up? I mean, there's just very, very few people that are going to fill up that trailer. So instead, let's ride share that. Um, But could you do it in a way where you could automate it and scale it? You know, the house of goods industry in and of itself is a very small subset of the larger, you know, kind of uh, freight industry here in the United States. Um, But it was absolutely a part of. Kind of what got my brain thinking on that. You also see it at the ports. You know, I mean, I spent my college summers working at the Port of San Pedro, driving a forklift, stuffing and unstuffing containers, loading and unloading the flatbeds. And you realize that you know you're 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 stripping a container, and that all those, in this case, lift vans, you know, the the wooden crates that you're moving um, containerized household goods in, are th- that whole container is not full of one shipment. There's four, five, six shipments on board, and the wheels started to turn. Like you know, they're sharing it at the port. That seems really smart to me. You know, I, I don't, can't recall ever unloading a container that was half empty. But we see it all the time with trucks mm-hmm. over the road. What's the difference? The ports and an air freight, it's the same way. And largely an air freight, it's because the cost of operating the aircraft is astronomical. So you've got to make sure that you're being really efficient in its use. Is that at the ports, you have this natural aggregation or consolidation point. It's a natural choke point where everything has to come through into Pedro or Houston or Charleston or wherever you're going. And you can stage that freight. But in the United States, particularly in that kind of 10 to 40 foot place that Flock uh, plays, you don't have that. It's much more like meandering freight that's going all over the place. The LTL carriers are most geared in that kind of one to four, five, six pallet range. You get into volume LTL and consolidators and it starts to get fuzzy. There's a lot of different kind of constituents that play in that space. But there is no um, clear place where you would take all the freight like you would the Port of San Pedro and make sure that that container is efficient. Um, we love trucks because of how um, flexible they are, right? You know, as an alternative to the rail, which does tremendous work at low cost, the rail just isn't a good solution for everybody. It's phenomenal what they do. You know, the J.B. Hunter <coughs> motor programs taking that, that flexibility further. Um, but at the same time, there's a reason why the truckload industry is four or $500 billion a year in the United States. And it's because it's on demand. We need it now. And it's got to be able to come to any given kind of city pair and be able to provide a solution. Um, we just don't have those natural points of aggregation, and I don't think we ever will. So my thesis was, instead of trying to create yet another terminal network, there's already plenty of existing infrastructure, maybe you know, with the demise of yellow freight, apparently a little mm-hmm. bit more than we needed. Um, so why not instead try to digitize that? Why not create a more fluid, every bit as nimble um, supply chain as we see today, but um, allow customers to be able to share? And, and conversely, on the carrier side, because I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this, You know, on the carrier side, those carriers are running around half empty, a third empty. You know, a massive amount of the time, 25 to 50% of the amount of time, you know, the carriers are getting crushed right now. I mean, I think fundamentally I see myself, if anything, as a carrier guy. That's where I started. Um, And they've never, particularly drivers, have never made, uh, I think, the wages that, that they should make. I think a lot of people like to talk about. Oh, they make $150,000, $200,000 a year, owner ops, don't feel bad for them. You and I know that's not the case.
0: I mean, clearly not. And then also the averages over time is like, you can make it one year, but then you give it back in the next. You know, Oren, I I think about partials have been around for many years. It was a company, a a ride to, a load to ride company, Jevic, you know, when I was growing up, was a public company um, and part of a public enterprise. And um, it had a, a load to ride, was the term, it was a partial sort of consolidator. There have been other uh, companies that have done partials, but you guys have successfully raised a a, a large amount of venture capital. Why can you be successful, and why are you disruptive? What is special about your business that is different than all of the other sort of consolidators that are out there?
1: Yeah, our customer promise is what we call hubless, without the hub. So customers come to us because... When freight moves through terminals and hubs, it slows it down. It increases the probability of damage. Like, we all know that freight doesn't get damaged while it's being transported. It gets damaged due to loading and unloading. So in the truckload world, it gets touched twice, right? It gets loaded, it gets unloaded. When Anytime you start going through any form of consolidation, now you're touching the freight over and over again. You have the opportunity for loss and theft. But maybe most importantly is truckload does such a good job. Everybody has different rates. Some people will quote 99% on time delivery it's, not, it's a little high in my life experience. It's not a real number. That's <laughs> you <know. laughs> what you mean. But, you know, let's call it in the mid-90s, you know, the ability to hit uh, uh, an 8 a.m. strict appointment at, at, you know, 95% uh, probability, being able to bring that to a customer for their partial truckload needs and saying, no compromises here. You're still going to um, get all the truckload quality that you expect, but you can just pay for your share of the truckload. Uh, We've stayed incredibly focused, you know, in the rise of all the various DFMs and all the truckload players, you know, I definitely had a lot of pressure put on me by my board to say, hey, they're raising gobs and gobs of cash, and we've certainly done fine, but wow, look at that, look at those valuations, should we be doing that? And I kind (laughs) of kept saying, I don't think that's the right place for us to play. I think the right place for us to play is in something different, something that's differentiated and that we can defend our ability to create a price instantly for a customer and turn into an RFQ. I mean, imagine how hard this is. A customer comes to us, let's just say, in the spot market. They come to flockfreight.com or they call their account manager, however it is they like to transact, and they fundamentally say, I've got a third of a truck. I've got eight pallets, nine pallets between Chattanooga and Los Angeles. Can you move it and what's the price? And our ability to instantly, because we've automated it, give them a price right away is not just based on our ability to imagine what's the cost of the truck going to be. Lots of brokers do that. They do mm-hmm. it very well. It, what the hard part is saying, what's the probability that other customers are going to show up in time and space and buy the other two-thirds of that truck? Because we don't have the luxury of bringing that freight into a terminal and mm-hmm. consolidating. It's all going to move dynamically. So we have to be able to guess that today, tomorrow, the next day, either in Chattanooga or anywhere along that route to Los Angeles, we're going to have more freight show up. And if we believe that that is the case, we can be very aggressive with the price. If we believe that's not the case, we'll push the price up and price ourselves out of it.
0: So it's interesting, the epiphany I'm having as we're talking this conversation is that this is a software optimization business. Absolutely. So one of the big complaints or gripes among incumbents in this industry is that the digital disruptors, the, the, and we're going to use Convoy as the sort of poster child of digital disruptor that, that wasn't, um, is that they were doing nothing more than just being a freight broker, but in using technology perhaps and become more efficient, which they have a lot of data suggest that they became more efficient, but it cost a lot of money to get there. In your world, you have two problems that you have to solve. You have to solve the Tetris problem, which is everything should fit together and not break. But then you also have to solve the salesman, the traveling salesman problem, yes. which is I have to go, how do I optimize these routes? Because I've got, and there's two very separate problems that frankly, I mean, you talked a lot about artificial intelligence, the kind of processing and intensity to make those decisions is pretty extreme. It seems like a, even though you're doing physical freight movement, you're still solving a problem that only computers can truly solve because humans cannot think of those dimensions. Yeah, look, that's exactly right. I mean, I think at the heart of
1: it, there are a lot of uh, freight tech players that their thesis was and still is, and, and I hope they're right because I want to see everybody win, is that they're selling software to the carrier or to the shipper. and That can be the case if you're a TMS software provider, but I don't think that's the case if you're a freight intermediary, a freight broker of any type. At Flock, we've never thought about it that way. We think about it more like like there's Amazon versus Microsoft. Microsoft makes software that you buy. You use the software, you'll pay for that software. Amazon builds incredible software, incredible machine learning models to enable a service. I don't buy software from Amazon. I'm not talking about AWS or any of that stuff. I'm just saying I go on my phone, I go to the app, I need some, clearly I don't shave often enough, I need some new razors. Um, and we can imagine the software behind that is incredible. But that's not what we're transacting with Amazon. That's always been our core belief at Flock is that our customers are buying services from us. They're buying on-time pickup, on-time delivery, fast transit times, no loss, step damage. They're buying easy button, no brain drain. They're buying all the quality that our industry of of truckload providers brings because it's exceptional. It's an exceptional way to get freight moved if you can fill up the truck. We're giving them the opportunity to buy just their share of it. Now, in order to create that outcome, to your point, the optimization work, the Tetris puzzle pieces, because as we know, I mean, a good example is if you think about Uber pool rides, not Uber freight, or Lyft has a product called Line Carpooling Humans, From a technology constraint standpoint, they don't care what we are as people. I would argue it's the most egalitarian point of view ever on the human race. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, how tall you are, what you look like. It does not matter, right? In the case of freight, we know it matters. Length, width, height, weight, density, NMFC, SIC, compatibility of cargo, refrigerated, hazardous, whatever, household, packaged or unpackaged. We have to know all these things when we constrain for it. Additionally, in the case of rideshare carpools, they don't care if you get in the right side of the car or the left side of the car. They don't even know. We have to do everything in LIFO sequence. The last thing in is the first thing out. First thing in is the last thing out because we know freight goes in those rear doors and we can't move the freight. We're not gonna cross dock it. We're not gonna pull one customer's freight out on one customer's dock and get to the other. Like there's all these things we understand as as freight people that we can't do. So the the technology from the uh, optimization standpoint is excruciating. And then you mentioned the traveling salesman problem and the vehicle routing problem, and then add to it that probabilistic pricing models. So to be able to say to a customer, I mean, you know, we got an audience here of absolute experts. Imagine telling a customer, I can sell you a third of a truck. Well, telling thousands of customers every single day upon tens of thousands of quotes every single day that you can sell them a portion of a 53-foot truckload, and you have no idea what's going on on the supply side of your marketplace at that moment. It's a different side of optimization that we're doing, just on the demand side, just on the customer shipper side and saying, sure, I can sell you a third of a truck, and here's the cost. In order to come up with that cost, yeah, you're guessing the cost of the truck. All of you are doing that in some way, shape, or form. But we're ascribing a probability of whether or not other customers are gonna buy the other portions of the truck because Flock takes the balance sheet risk. And that's a really important differentiator with us. Flock says, we're gonna contract that driver along a lane, LA to Dallas, 2,500 bucks. We're locking that in separately from going to customers and selling fractions of that trailer, again, and always doing it without any assets, not just on the carrier side, but uh, without any terminals.
0: This is an amazing set of challenges that you you have in your business. And it it is, as we've had this conversation, it is amazing how, as I think about all the, sort of executing that business model, how remarkably complicated it is. (laughs) And it's a software problem, ultimately, and how, in many ways, as, as a sort of a, an observer of this market, um, it's easy to classify you guys as a traditional digital freight matching company because that's how my brain and I think most of the industry's brains work is we compartmentalize this. But it strikes me that that is an oversimplification of your business model and an unfair one. Additionally, it also strikes me that this can only be solved for software because the traveling salesman, if anyone is in the computer, computer folks in here knows that that's one of the most complicated uh, uh ca- calculation issues that only a artificial antennas and quantum computing can solve for is the most efficient way to get point, point point a to point b along a number of routes you have to solve both those problems and i think it can only be solved by software and to your point there is so much freight so much space running around the industry that's empty but if you truly pull that off and you can truly execute that, you have a remarkable way of changing the industry. So I, I just, I, I, look, I want to wish you the best of luck in that. I know it's a challenging time in our industry. Do you have any closing thoughts on sort of what you're seeing in the market and how you're feeling about things? Um, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you.
1: And, and I would say that um, it, it can only be solved with software, but I would also argue it can only be implemented by the world's best freight men and women talent. Flock is a true hybrid of world-class PhDs and data scientists and software engineers, but we've also brought on board some of the finest, most talented freight experts from the big brokerages, from the big carriers. We, we are very much kind of a 50-50 organization. Um, I don't see any way that we could implement this in the real world of true, you know, B2B enterprise freight friction without the world's best talent. Um, in terms of... Um, you know, what's going on in the world, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a tough cycle here, but it's certainly not my first tough cycle. I don't think it's your uh, first mm-hmm. tough cycle. It, it's akin, it reminds me of COVID, you know, March of 2020. Most of us were probably in an office somewhere and there was some form of an <laughs> all hands that said, you know, see in a few weeks. <laughs> that was kind of my point of view. I'm not going to shave or cut my hair for, you know, until <laughs> this thing ends. And then if you haven't that's so... <laughs> it. I still haven't shaved, <laughs> but I did cut my hair. Um, but, you know, a few months later, you're like, all right, this is getting a lot of control. How long is this going to last? Um, and I had a lot of other, you know, founders, CEOs, friends, colleagues, employees, you know, people who maybe, you know, didn't have the gray hair that I have who would say, oh, this is unprecedented. We've never seen anything like this. And I'm like, eh, it's just a version of stuff we've seen. Mm-hmm. You know, I was bootstrapping a small freight brokerage and a small carrier through the 08 Great Recession. I think that was way worse for whatever it's worth. Um, I mean, I had to lay off half my company. It was excruciating. I mean, absolutely excruciating. Um, I had to, to the degree that I had had any economic success and take a little money out of the business, bought a home, invested in stuff. That all came pouring back into the business. You remortgage the house. You put up a second. Whatever the interest rate is, it doesn't matter. You just have to keep your business going. You just have to put one foot ahead of the other and bet on yourself because to me, to not be willing to bet on yourself just doesn't make any sense. So for those of you that are I mean we're all fighting the fight right now. It's it's absolutely um a tough moment. We've been here before. There's versions of this ahead of us. Um I mean the only thing I can share that I can't imagine is is a new um thing that they haven't thought of before is you just got to keep putting one foot ahead of the other. I mean just keep grinding. Believe in you yourself, believe in your team, believe in the products and services that you brought to bear. You know, the the decks being reshuffled right now. I that that's just the way these things are. I don't even have any like emotions or opinions about it. Um it is what it is. Um, It'll all be sorted, and it'll all also be fine. You know, um, this industry, we are GDP in motion. We're not going anywhere. We aren't going anywhere. Some things will be rebalanced a little bit, maybe they should, but at the same time, we are GDP. Um, Our families eat because of the work that we do, and that's why I just couldn't be more excited, more proud to work in this industry, especially now. I think it's an opportunity for us to step up and, and push even harder.
0: Orton, thank you so much for
1: your time. Thank you. All
0: right, we could have continued. 10 more minutes. Thank it. you. Thank you.